I remember not too long ago, I began to dive into the church history. There, I began to find things contrary to what was taught to me while growing up in primary. On one occasion, I read an account that struck me as odd. I brought this account to my dear bishop, and there I told him of my doubts. He looked at me, and with a twinkle in his eye, he said, Tommy, you must know, you must doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Close quote. I looked at him, and with a twinkle in my eye, I told him, why, Bishop, that's complete bullshit. RFM, welcome to another episode of Mormonism Live. How are you? I am great. I am great to be in the Pacific Northwest where it's not absolutely burning up. How are things in St. George, by the way? Oh, my goodness. It's like 110 degrees. It's hot as hell, although it's dark and cloudy out right now. And I saw a few drops of rain before I came in to the cargo bay. And uh, here we are ready to record another episode of Mormonism Live. We've got 88 people watching. To those 88 people, just a little note. Uh, and RFM, this will make you a little sad. Donations have dropped off in the last couple of weeks, somewhat significantly. So, folks, if you've never donated to a podcast or our podcast and you can help, please go to mormonismlive.org. Click the donate button. Hell, sell, send us three bucks a month, four bucks a month, five bucks a month. Every little bit helps. But uh, we hope to get those kind of back up uh, ripping and roaring. Other thing is if folks could go on to uh, – where they listen to the podcast, whether it be Apple podcast, Stitcher or some other place, give us a five-star review. If you can type in something really nice and sweet there, that would be awesome. Uh, by the way, we are up to about 700 people in our Facebook group, Mormonism Live. And um, we have, I think there's like uh, about 200 reviews on Apple that are five-star reviews. Thank you very much. About 30 or so written reviews. And so we appreciate that. Uh, RFM, that's enough from me. I'll just uh, bow out and head home. You go ahead and take over from here, my friend. What do you got for us? Well, you know what Jay Golden Campbell said about St. George? I'm sure you do. He said, <laughs> uh, if I had a home in hell and a home in St. George, I'd sell the home in St. George and move to hell. I really would. <laughs> that's the reaction he got. Oh, my yeah. gosh. No, like, before Jay we go to our... We have had a great, great show lined up for tonight. But before we get there, I have to say that I understand that today, Bill Real, you released the first of uh, your TikTok videos. Is that correct? I uh, I put some TikTok videos out. I was able to tell the Lucy Walker story in 59 seconds. That's I'm telling you, I'm 42 years old, and I, I think I'm halfway decent at technology. But it became really difficult to tell that story in a minute or less. Well, next time, maybe you can just re gone with the wind while you're at it. <laughs> One of the classics that I'm sure you've read. Actually, I haven't, but I've seen the movie a couple of times. <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> anyway, yes, tonight's, tonight's show, we have uh, a guest. He is an author. He has written a book. It's a new book. It came out this year, 2021. By the way, it is June 23rd, 2021, when we are recording this. And his book... Yes, it is tax deductible. Yes. And his his book, 
Any contributions to the short tax deductible? We're responding to a, a question from Lisa yeah. Hayes. So his book is called Joseph in the Gap. Okay, now that's not a Gap clothing store, though. This is Joseph in the Gap. And the author's name is Taylor Drake. I have not read this entire book, and I apologize for that. Uh, it is uh, over 300 pages long. I've made it up to around 80 some odd pages or if this were appearing in a, in a church essay, I would say I have gotten just shy of 100 pages into this book. I want to say that uh, it is obvious that Taylor Drake has a wide and in-depth knowledge of church history. It comes across in everything that he writes, but he has a very interesting viewpoint on church history and specifically on Joseph Smith, which we're going to let him get into uh, as he comes on to the show. Mainly, the idea is this. Uh, we're aware that in the LDS church, we have a belief that Joseph Smith was a prophet, pure and simple. So was Brigham Young. So is everybody else up to the present when we've got super prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, who is receiving almost as many revelations as Joseph Smith ever did. <laughs> they're just not canonized. But uh, then we have the... And, 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 and they're not significant. Ooh, ow. Zing. I mean, I That's guess taking mark. sexism out of the temple a little bit. Eh, okay. That's okay. Uh, then we have the uh, Denver Snuffer um, viewpoint on things, which is that Joseph Smith was a prophet from beginning to end. And then after he died, Brigham Young really screwed the pooch and he monkeyed with the works. And it was an apostasy after that. And what uh, Taylor Drake has uh, come up with and what he supports and argues in this, uh, this book, Joseph in the Gap, is that Joseph Smith started out as a true prophet of God, but about halfway or so into his prophetic ministry, that changed. And then he became a fallen prophet. And so he'll talk to us a little bit about why it is he believes that. He's got some great graphics and some wonderful ideas. And unfortunately, that's going to be the first part of the show, right? Unfortunately, though, Taylor Drake's writing this book has come to the attention of his local authorities, specifically his bishop and his state president, prompting a somewhat negative reaction from both the president, the state president and the bishop, and resulting in the fact that Taylor Drake is scheduled for a disciplinary hearing one week from tonight on June 30th. So we wanted to get him on before the hearing, at which uh, I expect he'll probably be excommunicated for or his book, unless he withdrawn. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. He'll have his membership withdrawn, what we used to call excommunicated. And I've been talking quite a bit now, so we really should bring on to the show Taylor Drake. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm good. I was anticipating some Queen music, though. <laughs> I know. We'll probably have that on the outside. On the outside. Actually, we, we, <laughs> we don't have okay. that. We can sing it all together. Another One Bites the Dust is the name of the show, and that's why, because of the disciplinary council scheduled for one week from tonight, Taylor Drake, thank you for coming on the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm I'm doing great. I mean, there's a heat wave headed our way in the Pacific Northwest. I'm a few hundred miles south of you, but, you know, it's quite not quite as bad as where Bill's at, so we'll survive it. Okay. Well, you... I'm oh, sorry. No, no, you're good. You... Okay. You... <laughs> Just let me know when I'm clear to go. You wrote this uh, this wonderful book, Taylor. Oh my gosh, you've got a copy too. There's yeah. more than one copy. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. 
And uh, can you tell us a little bit, I mean, a little bit about yourself? I mean, who are you and why is it that you wrote this book? So, you know, my story is very similar to what you guys uh, have experienced. I mean, I grew up as a TBM. I'm a sixth generation Mormon. I was raised in Utah Valley. My dad was a professor at BYU. Um, I served a mission at the same uh, language that you did, RFM. I was in Japan from 83 to 85. I was one of those guys called on an 18-month mission, and um, and I extended to two years because they changed it to two years for new missionaries, and they said anybody out there can stay for an extra six months, and I did. You're so faithful. Yeah, so I mean, actually, it was the best part of my mission. I, I really loved that. Um, I was married in the Salt Lake Temple. Uh, my wife and I, my wife is from Japan. Uh, she was a return missionary from Japan who wanted to convert at age 18, but her Buddhist mom said, no way, not till you're 20, which is adulthood in Japan. Day after she turned 20, she got married, served a mission, and, and we got married in the Salt Lake Temple between my junior and senior years in college. Uh, Taylor, I'm guessing you meant that the day after she turned 20, she got baptized. What did I say? You said she got married. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Baptized. Um, so uh, we actually lived in Japan for close to seven years. All three of our boys were born over there. And then we moved to the house we live in today in Lake Oswego, Oregon. And, you know, I've I've served in elders quorum presidencies. I've been a seminary teacher, a gospel doctrine teacher, a bishop's counselor, a young men's president. So, you know, pretty TBM down the line. And uh, it was really my boys who sent me on this quest of, of searching. Um, they were starting to have questions about 10 years ago, and they'd found some websites, uh, Mormon Think and Mormon Stories. And, you know, I, at the time, I'm like, those are pretty anti-Mormon. But when I dug into them, I'm like, a lot of that information is factual. So I can't just dismiss it as being uh, a fabrication. And so... I, I said, look, I'm not really willing to just discard my faith uh, at that point uh, just because of some of the experiences I had and, and you know, my love of, of the doctrine of Christ. But um, I was experiencing cognitive dissonance uh, that many people experience when they discover these things uh, about Joseph's behavior or, you know, going to the temple for the first time and discovering the penalties you know, anybody who went through the temple prior to 1990 has vivid recollections of that, and, and I certainly did. Um, so, um, you know, and, and, and you think about it, the cognitive dissonance in the Mormon church comes from the fact that we totally conflate the gospel with the church. You know, they're one and the same. You know, you, you've all heard the arguments. Uh, if if the Book of Mormon is true, Joseph was a prophet. If Joseph is a prophet, the, the church is true. And, you know, Russell Nelson is the equivalent of Joseph. Well, you know, that sets people up for failure. So I decided to go on a quest to search because I wasn't really willing to throw the Jesus baby out with the church bathwater. And I started to deconstruct my faith. And I decided that I would only believe that which was consistently taught in the word of God and, and any sort of just traditions that didn't have any support in the scriptures I was going to discard. And I, I decided that I was going to prove all things and apply the law of witnesses. And you know what that is, right? In the word of two or three witnesses. But that wasn't just, uh, you know, two or three 
LDS prophet saying something. It had to be in the scriptures. So um, at the same time, you know, the Joseph Smith Papers Project has been a huge boon to just amateurs like me to be able to go see a lot of the original texts, right? I mean, I can go, I can go look at the original um, revelations and see, okay, is that what they actually published? And I actually discovered that sometimes it's not the case. You know, Joseph received a revelation and for whatever reason that didn't make it into the published version. Um, and so that papers project has been really good. Um, and then during that time frame, what I've learned is um, using word search technology, you know, just just trying to do word searches. And I'll just give you an example. If I do a word search on sealing or sealed uh, in the scriptures, it only ever comes up as being sealed up unto eternal life. It never talks about a marriage, uh, it never talks about the things that we believe sealing represent today. And so, you know, I can start to discard things if they don't show up consistently in scripture or if there's only one witness. And I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, section 132, for example, teaches doctrine that is contrary to other doctrine in the canon. And it's the only witness. And so you have to look at that with a jaundice eye and really question it and say, okay, is this sound doctrine or not? And it's not going to surprise anybody listening that I have an entire appendix in the book dedicated to analyzing section 132. So, oh, sorry, I don't, not, not to, no, 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 you're, doing, you're doing great, but um, what is your, your, your thesis in a nutshell regarding Joseph Smith? Because if I were to ask you, do you believe that Joseph Smith was a true prophet? You might have two different answers to the same question. Um, well, he was a true, I, I believe he was a true prophet. Um, and if we dig into that, those key points, uh, the Lord warns him in a number of different places in the Doctrine and Covenants that if he's not aware, he's going to fall. And um, so the thesis of the book is, you know, if I were to distill it down to a nutshell, it's that um, the Lord brought forth the fullness in the early part of the 1830s. And there are a few data points we can go over here in just a few minutes. But the saints rejected the opportunity to live the higher law of the celestial kingdom. And it's very similar to what Moses tried to do with the children of Israel. And the children of Israel failed, and the Latter-day Saints failed. And there was a result of that, that they got downgraded. Okay, they got downgraded in their priesthood. And because of that, Joseph's eyes began to be covered and uh, as a prophet. And um, we'll get to a couple of graphs that will show that here in a few minutes. But it's exactly what's described in Isaiah 29, verse 10. For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep and hath covered your eyes. The prophets and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. Now, the Book of Mormon actually um, has a slightly different take on that that gives us a little more insight. Um, and it says that ye have, ye have closed your eyes. It's not the Lord that's closed the prophet's eyes, ye have closed your eyes and ye have rejected the prophets and your rulers and the seers hath he covered because of your iniquity. So actually, um, Bill, let's, um, can you let me share my screen here? 
Great, because I'm going to be asking you, uh, and this is what this leads into, is when is it that you think that Joseph became a fallen prophet? And why is it you think that? And that's where these screens will lead. Okay, so um, what we're looking at right here is the number of revelations that Joseph received in any given time in these years, okay? And um, from 1829 through 1834, you see that there's, Quite, there are quite a few revelations that come forth during this time period. And this is a time period when you believe that Joseph Smith was acting as a true prophet, correct? Correct. Correct. Um, and then if we look after 1834, there's hardly any. And you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this the case? And, you know, as I'm digging into history, it became clear to me that um, the saints got downgraded uh, right around 1834. There were a few things that ended up in 1836. So uh, to answer your question directly, RFM, I don't know that I can put a specific date on it, but I can say that, you know, over a period of time here after 1834, his prophetic eyes were being covered. And uh, as you know, what the saints believed in Kirtland is very different than what the saints believed in Nauvoo. And yet in the Kirtland era, um, in fact, let's walk through a couple of data points. I'm going to back this up for just a second because I think it's important to just grasp this. Um, in March of 1829, the Lord gave a warning to the saints. Now, you won't find this warning in our Doctrine and Covenants. But you will find it in the Book of Commandments, which was the precursor. And that was the Book of Commandments of the Church of Christ. So Christ had his name in the church. He established it, and he gives this warning. If the people of this generation harden not their hearts, I will work a reformation among them, and I will establish my church, even the church which was taught by my disciples. Can so, you stop right there for just a second? Only yeah. because when I read that, the word reformation jumped out at me because as I've been a member of the church, at least 40 years ago, we made a huge distinction. The church did. This is not a reformation. That's what Martin Luther and all those guys did. This is a restoration, not a reformation. But here it's talking about a reformation. Right. And and he's he's saying he's going to establish his church that was taught by his apostles. So this is biblical Christianity. It's just biblical Christianity without the creeds of the Protestants and the Catholics. Um, and so that's what I read as the Lord saying here. But the next, the next little um, sentence here is the kicker. And now if this generation do harden their hearts against my word, behold, I will deliver them up unto Satan. Now, when I came across this um, uh, in a blog online that I was reading, I was like floored. I had to see this for myself. I ran to, well, I didn't run. I got in my car and I drove two miles to Deseret Book. And I said, I got to find this. You know, where can I get a copy of the Book of Commandments? And they're like, ah, we don't have one, but we can order one. And so I ordered, you know, the cheap copy. And a week later, I get it. And I turn to chapter four, uh, verses five and six of the Book of Commandments. And here it is in black and white. Now, this is not in the Doctrine and Covenants, even though most of the revelations of the Book of Commandments are in the Doctrine and Covenants. And the timing is important because the, the Doctrine and Covenants was first published in 18, 
35. And um, the Saints, and we'll get to the next data data point, but by then uh, it was beyond warning. And so, um, you know, Joseph gets dinged for making changes between the Book of Commandments and the Doctrine and Covenants. But when you understand the shift in the relationship between God and his people at that time, um, you can see why a warning would just confuse the saints because they're beyond warning. They're in the process of being turned over to Satan. Right. So you see the warnings signs here. And according to your understanding, these things happened very fast because there was something else of significance to you that happened in 1834. And that had to do with the name of the church, right? Yeah. And um, we'll get to that. Just one other data point before we get there, because in 1831, where you saw all, you know, the most revelations were had in 1831. That's when the Lord tells the saints to go to the Ohio. He reveals his law. Okay, his law of the celestial kingdom, which is section 42 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And, you know, that includes uh, monogamy. It includes consecration, you know, all the things that the ancient church and the Nephites lived under when they were under that state of happiness, uh, all things in common. And so um, but the other data point here is the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood. Now, we've inherited this tradition that the Melchizedek priesthood was restored in June of 18, uh, of 1829, right? But Peter, James, and John showing up on the banks of the Susquehanna. Well, what date, you know, did Joseph ever teach this? The answer it is June. <laughs> yeah, it was June, <laughs> June. Well, first June 30th, somewhere in there. Something as important as the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood would be something that we could actually agree on. Um, but in reality, there's plenty of historical evidence that points to the Morley Farm Conference in Kirtland, Ohio, in June, early June 1831, as the time when the Melchizedek Priesthood was restored. And just look at these quotes right here from Joseph Smith. The authority of the Melchizedek Priesthood was manifest for the first time upon several of the elders. Lyman, go back. This is the conference in June of 1831, Joseph Smith's history, writing about what happened at that conference. And he said on the Isaac Morley farm in Kirtland, Ohio, is where the conference was held. Okay. Correct. Correct. And there were 23 high priests that were identified by revelation through Joseph to be called as high priests. And in fact, this next guy, Lyman White, who most Mormons don't real, don't understand, he saw a vision of the Father and the Son, and he ordained 17 of the 23 high priests. Um, a very interesting character who didn't follow Brigham Young, and so Brigham Young excommunicated him um, after Joseph was dead. But here Lyman White says, for the first time I saw the Melchizedek priesthood introduced into the church. Okay, another witness. John Carrill, um, he was... You might be familiar with John, but he was a counselor to Bishop Partridge, and he ended up separating from the church in 1838 because he saw what was going on in Missouri, and he said, I don't want any part of this. And and he wrote a 50-page brief history of the Latter-day Saints, which is a really good read. I highly recommend it. Um, but he said the Melchizedek Priesthood was then for the first time introduced. And then you even have uh, Parley Pratt, who followed Brigham in his autobiography. This was the first occasion in which this priesthood had been revealed and conferred upon the elders in this dispensation. So multiple witnesses that this was when the Melchizedek priesthood was restored. 
And yet you find in the history of the church, this footnote inserted uh, that we read on the right. It, it has been supposed that this passage meant that the higher or Melchizedek priesthood was now for the first time conferred upon men in this dispensation. This, of course, is an error. So you have to ask yourself, why, why would they have to sell this as a falsehood? And the answer is that Brigham Young was never ordained a high priest. And so to claim that he had the highest level of priesthood in the church, he had to look to his ordination as an apostle and claim that that was higher than a high priest. Well, Taylor, of course it was an error because everybody knows that Peter, James, and John freaking restored the Melchizedek priesthood in June of 1829, two years before. I have four guys that, that differ with that and contemporaneous sources. So I, I'm going with this, my friend. <laughs> it is, it right. is interesting. Just to note, there is, uh, I don't know, again, I, I can't really see the slide there, but um, I know that there's a quote where one of the elders in the church is quoted as giving Joseph Smith the office of elder. And there is no uh, contemporary source saying that Melchizedek priesthood had been given up to that point. And so I think Mormonism does struggle to kind of convince us with history and data to say that the Melchizedek priesthood is a real thing and was given by Peter, James, and John, which I think at least in part is what you're pointing to. Yeah, right. no, and of course, I'm sorry, I was just saying, uh, for those who don't know, I'm being facetious, of course, because the problem is, is that Peter, James, and John, according to uh, David Whitmer, as well as Thomas Marsh, I believe it was, was never even talked about until sometime around 1834. It was never even mentioned that they had restored the Melchizedek priesthood. And in fact, in section 27 uh, of the Doctrine and Covenants, when it occurs in the same, the same revelation occurs in the Book of Commandments from 1833, there's no mention of Peter, James, and John. But all of a sudden now, two years later, when that same revelation gets published in the Doctrine and Covenants, there's a lengthy edition, which now starts talking about Peter, James, and John having come to restore the priesthood back in June of 1829. Am I correct, sir? Well, the Doctrine and Covenants um, does mention that they restored the keys of the apostleship. Okay, so I, I can buy the fact that they restored keys associated with the apostleship. But as we know, an apostle is an elder. That's very clear in section 20 and not a high priest. And so, again, we get back to the issue. Why would we, we try to cover this up? And, it, and I can only conclude that Brigham Young was, was trying to claim that the apostleship was the highest level in the church. In fact, there's a quote from him in, in the Journal of Discourses where he says, you know, it'll make some of you wonder that I was never ordained, a, that I was not ordained a high priest. Um, Heber C. Kimball and I were never ordained high priest. How wonderful. I mean, he's like bragging about it. So well, sure. And he bragged about never having seen an angel, too. Well, he when Joseph died, he said, I'm not a prophet. He said, now you have to live by faith, you know? So he's got to live with that claim too. Taylor, All right. Let so, me tell you something. We're coming up on half an hour here into the show. Yep. And uh, can we get to the name of the church? Because uh, I hate to rush you. This is very no, no. fascinating. We have constraints of time, and I do want to get onto the pending doom no, that, that you're facing in, in a week. Go ahead. Talk yep. about the name of the church. So um, what's really interesting here is in May of 1834, there was a, a conference held, and, and the minutes are just so quiet. They, they give no color commentary. It's almost as if those there just 
just felt like they were being chastised or something. But here, I'm going to read these minutes. The conference came to order and Joseph was chosen moderator. Frederick Williams and Oliver were appointed clerks. After prayer, the conference proceeded to discuss the subject of names and appellations when a motion was made by Sidney Rigdon and seconded by Newell Whitney that this church be known hereafter by the name of the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Um, appropriate remarks, etc. And so, you know, effectively, the Lord has taken his name out of the church. The saints have failed to live the law of the celestial kingdom. The Lord is taking his name out of the church. And, you know, we know from the, from the Book of Mormon that how can it be the Lord's church if it's not in his name? And so we can see that basically on the, on the 1835 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants. It's the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Or you see it on the Kirtland Temple, the house of the Lord built by the Church of the Latter-day Saints. So this is a big milestone. And I don't know how many people actually know this. I've brought it up to some people and they're like, nah, nah, it's always been the Church of Christ. You know, the, the typical uh, explanation in Mormonism is that we had the restoration and everything's been uphill since there. You know, we, we're just going on to victory. And this is a very sobering reality. Well, didn't they take care of that problem four years later in 1838 when they set Jesus Christ back into the name of the church? Yeah, somebody slipped him back in there. Um, well, there's a revelation in the Doctrine and Covenants, right? Well, it does mention, yeah, this church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So, um, all right. So, so this is an important milestone. And, um, but to continue the story then, uh, we, we have, and it's a reason why, you know, the book is entitled Joseph in the Gap, because, you know, there are lots of, and I mentioned this earlier, there, there are lots of similarities between Joseph and Moses. And I'm going to just stop sharing this for, for just a second and pull up my notes here. Um, but there are lots of similarities that, um, that we find in the scriptures. You know, both were trying to prepare people for the higher law, both fail. Um, what very few people realize is that is the Old Testament talks about Moses uh, in an intercessory role, atoning for the for the sins of of Israel of the Israelites. Um, for example, Deuteronomy four talks about how the Lord was angry with Moses for your sakes. Right. So, on behalf of the people, the Lord was angry with Moses. Uh, I think Psalm 106.23 is a real important milestone to, to, to hammer this home. They forgot God their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said, God said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Um you know, Ezekiel also teaches of this concept, how somebody can stand in the gap before the Lord. This is Ezekiel 20, verse 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me in the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. So in that case, they didn't find somebody to stand in the gap, but the principle is introduced and it's, it's consistent in the Old Testament. And, you know, I find that Joseph seems to be in that same situation that, um, that he potentially 
was an intercessor on behalf of the of the Latter-day Saints. Um, and you think about this, when we have the fullness, we have the the Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost that will sanctify people. But when you lose that priesthood, there seems to be something according to a lesser law that is the way that the people are sanctified before the Lord. Can I ask you a few points here really quickly? Sure. All right. The law of consecration was initiated in the early 1830s, but then it was largely dropped by the time uh, the Mormons get to Nauvoo. Do you consider that to be part of the falling away? Sure, absolutely. Joseph Smith introduced polygamy at some point in the mid-1830s. Apparently, if you consider Fanny Alger a polygamous marriage as opposed to simply a dalliance on the part of Joseph Smith. But some point, uh, even a couple of years after that, we have our first, um, I think, generally understood to be polygamous marriage of Joseph Smith. Do you first off, and this is a yes or no question, please. Uh, you believe that Joseph Smith practiced polygamy, correct? Absolutely. Do you believe that that was part of the falling away? Yes. That that was not authorized of God. Yeah, I mean, this was part of a cursing. All right, the Lord said he would turn them over to Satan. Uh, and the doctrines that were introduced after the, the name of the church was changed, um, you know, the Lord said he had given them the fullness. They rejected the fullness. So any sort of doctrine after that time period, to me, is highly suspect. And when you look at things like polygamy, um, uh, the temple endowment, and you say, okay, are these consistent with scripture? Are these consistent with what the Lord has told us about what his law is earlier? And it fails the test every time for me. So I believe Joseph practiced polygamy. Um, and, you know, the Lord in, um, oh gosh, uh, Ezekiel 14, he says that if you go to him or the prophet with an iniquitous heart, if, if you hold these polygamous desires, for example, in your heart, he's going to answer you, yes, go right ahead. And I think that's what happened. I totally think that's what happened. Okay, so you've got this great book that you wrote, and I know that it covers a lot more than what you've talked about, and it goes into detail with a lot more support for it. But basically... The idea that Joseph was a prophet, but then stopped being a prophet or became a fallen prophet is something that doesn't necessarily jive with the current understanding and acceptance of the leadership of the LDS church. Would you agree with that? I mean, that's a point that my stake president brought up to me. Ah, Joseph was not a fallen prophet. That's that's heresy. And here's the segue. So this just got published. I mean, it's self-published, right? Yes. Yep. Means that they only get, they only get published when people order them, correct? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Fourteen ninety five. You know, can be ordered by anybody, and Amazon prints them as they as you go. Somehow, this came to the attention of your bishop and/or stake president. Can you tell us how that happened? Well, I asked him, and and he gave me an answer that wasn't very satisfactory. And you know, I'm. You asked, I'm sorry, you asked your stake president? I asked my stake president how he came to know about it. And, and um, you know, I, I'm going to wait till after the trial and maybe we'll see if we, if I'm comfortable sharing more information there. But, but. Okay, I, well, sure. I, I, everything I, you know right now. <laughs> um, 
So when did you first start getting into hot water about this? I mean, six, six, this book. exactly yeah. 66 days after I published it, I got a call from my bishop and my bishop who I haven't seen is a new bishop. I haven't been to church in probably 18 months. I, I got to the point where I just couldn't stand the prophet worship. And, you know, I enjoyed maybe a Sunday school discussion, but I couldn't stand to go to, to priesthood meeting and, and learn about another regurgitated conference talk. You know, it's the last You're starting time. to sound a little bit like this to me. Oh, I'm I'm definitely a lazy learner. Okay. I am to sound like a lazy learner. Only a lazy learner is gonna write a book like this. It That's right. So I mean, about your you history. need you need to send me one of those. All right. It, I don't know where you got that thing, but you need to send me one of those. There is a listener whose son made this out of um, what do you call it when you I have no it's like a copier? The, the 3D printer. The 3D printer, right. And he made one of these and sent it to me. And so this is the only one I have. Well, whoever but, did um, it, send one to me or send it to RFM and he can forward it to me because I'd love to have one of those things. It's great. Lazy learners of the world unite. So 66 days, too bad it wasn't 666 days, but that would be too long. <laughs> you first find out after it's printed that this is coming to the attention of the higher ups. Tell us about this. Yeah, so so my bishop contacted me, and you know, it's it's small talk. How's your family doing? Blah 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 blah. And then he says, "Well, uh, the the stake president, and I would like to meet with you." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, right. I know what this is about." And I said, "Well, what's this about?" He goes, "Uh, hems and haws." And finally, well, it's about your book. And I said, "Well, have you read it?" No. Had you talked to your bishop about your book at all before this? No. This is coming out of the blue about the book. Totally out of the blue. Now, okay. there are a very few number of people in my stake that I shared it with. I'm talking less than the number on my hand. Um, and and you one know, of them's a squealer. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> you got a Benedict Arnold. Well, or, friends, I hate to tell you. Look, the other, the other part of this is uh, I used to blog under the name Searcher. I, I used to, and I still do, podcast with, uh, with a guy named Chris Hubbard. We do the Iron Rod podcast weekly. And we used uh, pseudonyms. Um, Chris was MD because his blog is me Measuring Doctrine. And so he'd, he'd go by MD and I went by Searcher. Uh, but when I published the book, I made a conscious decision that I was going to come out uh, with my real name. Because I just believed that uh, you lose credibility when you hide behind a pseudonym. And so uh, well, I knew. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I invite you on the show. You're not that you slamming me. RFM, you're not that hidden. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, I, if I can in five minutes or less, you know, find out your real name online, it's not really that hidden, my friend. Um, okay. wow. and, and what you haven't gotten to is I actually uh, reference a paper that you wrote in my book. Are and you kidding? On, on what you page? didn't know that. Well, no, I didn't. It must be past page 80. It's on page 274. Pull it up right now, man. Look in the footnotes. It's right okay, there. You go ahead. You keep talking now about your um, your bishop and this conversation you had. Well, suddenly he brings up uh, your book and the sick president and I want right. to meet with you. Right. So uh, he wanted to schedule something for the following Sunday, but I was I was out of town. <laughs> I was actually on a very enjoyable motorcycle trip down in Las Vegas doing a big loop. 
Grand Canyon, Monument Valley with, with some really cool guys. Um, uh, and uh, I still remember on Sunday. Well, there I am. There you are. <laughs> there you are. Okay. Right. Um, so if anybody wants to find out who I am, you got to buy this book and look at the bottom of page 274. Boom, well, baby. Well, There's it, your roadmap. It's like 268 in my copy because you've got the, the proof version. Uh, let's see. It is actually 264 in the copy that readers will get. Down at the bottom, you'll find it out. Okay. Jesus Christ is elder brother. It's the name of your. By the way, this is huge God. disinformation. I don't even know that guy. Go ahead. No, your bishop. Your bishop. He's very intelligent and handsome, but I don't know him. Go ahead. Um, and so I was actually having dinner on, on the strip and I, I thought I just, I texted my Bishop and I said, look, and, and he had, we had scheduled something for the following Thursday. And I said, look, I don't see the point in getting together until you guys read my book. And when you read it, because you'll know where I'm coming from, I'm happy to sit down. And, um, and I told him that I would write a statement about my motivations which I did when I got back into town that Monday. Um, Why motivations? Is that something that they had asked you about? Um, yeah, I, just a little bit, but but I wanted to just be really clear. Uh, I have nothing to hide. I just told them that, and, and I quoted Joseph Smith, where he says, "If any man teach you any doctrine that's not in the the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Revelations, set him down as an imposter." Um, and then there's another quote from Joseph F. Smith or Joseph Fielding. I get those two confused all the time where he says, um, and I'm not going to get the quote exactly. I'm going off off of the top of my head. But um, he said that we use the standard works to measure any man's doctrine. You know, let's have this matter clear. If anybody teaches anything and whether they're high or low of the church, it has to comport with the scriptures. So. Um, I quoted that in a piece that I sent and, and I got no response at all from the state president. I sent him the email. He didn't even acknowledge the email. I told him I'd send him a copy of my book. He didn't acknowledge that at all. And Can you just a second. I mean, the state president is not a, a stranger to you, right? You've had communications with him in the past. He knows who you are. You've talked about things in the past, right? Yeah, I mean, not not about doctrinal things. I mean, we've sung in quartets together, you know. Right. So you're not a stranger. I mean, you're a member of his state, and you're not a stranger. And you're emailing him, and there's no response from him. It's no response. Crickets. No response. Okay. Complete crickets. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, then a week ago last Sunday, yeah, I I got a call from the bishop um wanting to schedule something and you know it's, it's funny because when i texted the bishop from uh from vegas um i asked him if he'd read the book and he sent me sent me back a picture you know by text of my book he said i'm i'm in chapter 19. okay so if you know chapter 19 if you look in chapter 19 you can see what the title is and hang on, hang on. 1919 um strong delusion yes he said i'm in uh, chapter 19 strong delusion that they may believe a lie is that the scripture uh yeah the, look at look yeah. at the scripture at the top of it right well i'm just looking at the table of contents this is all coming off the top of my head baby yeah well if you turn to chapter 19 and this is the analysis where i go through the temple endowment 
All right. And so yeah, second, second Thessalonians, I did that. <laughs> second Thessalonians, no, yes. chapter two, verse 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Second right. Thessalonians 2, 11. Correct. So again, the temple endowment ceremony is this practice in the church today is something that was introduced in Nauvoo and just doesn't pass scriptural muster at all. Now you and, think the whole temple endowment is wrong. That's, that's part of the fallen nature of, the church and Joseph Smith is a prophet at the time. Yeah. I mean, if you look, third Nephi 11, the Lord tells us what his doctrine is. It's, it's faith, repentance, baptism, Holy ghost. And then he says more or less than this cometh of evil. And we don't believe that as a church, we believe more. And, that more includes things that that are actually contradicted in the scriptures. You know, for example, we're taught that we that these passwords and signs and things that we we learn in the temple endowment, we have to have to get back to heaven, right? To pass the sentinels along the way. Well, the Book of Mormon clearly teaches that the uh, the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. Right, they, they're volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, no paid ministry in the church. You know that. <laughs> of course not. They call it a living stipend. And uh, <laughs> let's see, a vacation house. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm afraid of taking you off the subject that you were on because you said that you're in Las Vegas, Bishop Tex. Right, right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on chapter 19 of the book. Yeah, he he led me to believe that he had read the whole thing, and it come come to come to, you know, that he was up to he was up to to chapter nineteen, but in reality, he had just read nineteen. So, all right, we we go into this meeting, and it, I just tell him, look, I believe the scriptures, and I'm going to plant my flag with Jesus in the scriptures, and they're like. Taylor, your conclusions are wrong. And I said, well, have you read the book? I've read, I've read enough. Uh, you know, the stake president said, I I've perused it, which, as you know, he used peruse in the wrong, you know, in, in the wrong way, because peruse means yeah, carefully, right? I have received some pushback on Reddit about me being the grammar Nazi. And I think the, uh, the criticism is probably largely justified. But the deal is that peruse, as we talked about, peruse is almost always used in the sense of scanning something right. and just sort of looking at it very briefly. When actually the word peruse means the opposite. It means to go through things with a fine tooth comb and read it right. very, very carefully. Uh, he, didn't, so, he didn't peruse it in the correct right. way that you use it. Yes. He scanned it. Okay. Right? Okay. So and, then what happens? Well, he, your conclusions are wrong, Taylor. Your, your conclusions are wrong. What are we going to do about your membership? He immediately went to the membership question. Whoa. I mean, just, just like right there. And, um, and you said, and you quoted Joseph Smith saying, it doesn't prove a man is a bad man just because he errs in doctrine. <laughs> I should have, <laughs> you know, or you I, I don't, with you in these things, I, you know, uh, Joseph Smith also said uh, that I hate to see people kicked out because they don't believe according to the creeds, you know, the Methodists and others. And I, I'm not getting that exactly right, but but that's what he said. Um, okay, so what about but, your membership now? 
Right. I mean, you have reached the wrong conclusion. And I asked him, I said, well, is the doctrine of Christ the doctrine of the church? He said, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, Christ tells us what his doctrine is and more or less cometh of evil. So, uh, you know, I then ask him, is there any place in this church for somebody who believes what the saints believed in Kirtland, Ohio? You are and, full of trick questions, aren't you? You're almost as good as Jesus. <laughs> hardly, hardly. I am. I am one of the weak things of the world. But uh, he said there is no place in this church for any anyone who teaches anything other than what the brethren teach. Ooh, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, uh, you know, very clear on that. And so. I paused there for a minute. And you said, well, Elder Holland just said in the recent general conference, there's room for all voices in the choir. Not mine. <laughs> Not mine, even though I've sung in a choir with that guy. No, that's okay, because he didn't mean it anyway. Only if you sing the same stanza. That's right. The same words and the same tune. And yeah. The same tune. And we can have all sorts of voices in the choir. <laughs> right. As long as you're in line, my friends, as long as you do what we tell you. Um, you know, so I, I just said, look, I, I have to hew to the iron rod. I have to cling to the iron rod. And, uh, you know, he never even, even made the threat of like, well, we're going to have to have a disciplinary council unless you retract your book. He never said anything about retracting the book. He was just like You're teaching this false doctrine. You know, we got to have a disciplinary council. So it's getting it sounds to me like he's gunning for you. Look, I I don't know what the higher-ups, you know, if you look in the handbook, there's a requirement that they actually go talk to the higher-ups if if there's a case of apostasy, right? And mm -hmm. you know, their their apostate definition of apostasy is is anything they want it to be if they feel threatened. And you know, a tradition also requires I'm sorry, isn't there also a requirement that they counsel with you to some degree and try and convince you of the error of your ways rather than just saying you don't fit here and we're going to kick you out? There, To me, it felt like there was no counseling and there was no attempt to understand where I'm coming from. And that's demonstrated by the fact that they wouldn't even spend an hour or two reading the book. You know, if, if, if these guys are that concerned about my spiritual welfare, then they should at least be willing to invest a little bit of time to understand um, the, the conundrum that is presented by the church, by, by the scriptures, when lined up against church practice and what we believe. You know, the Lord in section 42 says, um, you know, you're supposed to follow the scriptures as a law, and anybody who doesn't do that, and again, I'm paraphrasing, is, is off the rails. And so, you know, my next book is probably going to be all the ways that we don't follow the scriptures. Uh, the guy that I podcast with, Chris, uh, and who knows, you, you guys might want to be talking to him at some point because he's probably going to get the tap on the shoulder at some point, too. Especially since you just mentioned his real name on public. Uh, there we what, go. I was going to say radio, public TV. What is this? Public airwaves? It's a podcast, dang it. It's public. It's a podcast, that's right. So um, where was I going with that? I you were in your meeting 
you're in your meeting and now he says if you don't fit i mean if you don't teach what the the current leaders teach then you don't belong in the church right so um you know that's that's where we stand i mean i it's going to be a week from tonight um i think i think he wanted me to resign that would have made it really easy for him uh he doesn't have to have a trial and now under the kinder gentler machine gun hand that they have uh they don't even try to get the high council involved but i told the stake president i want the high council involved and um i said how much time do i have to defend myself he said 30 minutes and i said well i'd like 45 he said i'll give you 30. so you know there seems to be a really hard line that's being taken and again if they really care about my eternal salvation one would think that they would try to understand uh what i'm seeing in the scriptures that causes me to question certain things or come to the conclusions all right because as you you're only up to page 80 but but rfm i present evidence in every chapter of that book with everything that i'm backing up multiple evidences and there are 459 footnotes in that thing for crying out loud it's it's not an academic tome i've tried to write it in a very conversational way so that it you know leads people you know down the down this journey i talk about the journey let's go on a journey let's talk about this let's understand what's going on but there are multiple evidences to back up everything um and ultimately the conclusions when you get to the second half of the book which are all the conclusions the first half being a walk through the the history the hidden history and the second half then being you know, if you buy that history, this is what it means for us today. Has your state president gotten back to you on your request to have the high council president? I haven't heard boo since that meeting last Thursday. Yeah, I haven't I you're not gonna hear anything at all. I, I don't know. I mean, he 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 said, I'll send you a letter. I mean, the requirement in the handbook is that they send you a letter, you know, informing you that your your membership is in jeopardy. There's going to be a council and here's the time and you know you can show up and defend yourself or not let me jump in for a minute which is i had 60 minutes and i was able in those 60 minutes to run through essentially every problem in the church so but it took all 60 <laughs> minutes to do it and so i think they've learned their lesson um they realized that putting smart people in front of uh, a room full of church leaders and allowing somebody to speak for an hour may be just a touch too much um let me say, I, I, I told you this on the phone earlier, I, I kind of disagree with the perspective because I find too many problems early on in Mormon history, you know, 1820s, Joseph Smith's treasure digging, all the kind of stuff that's going on there too. But I have to acknowledge that I think your ideas might be more of a threat than folks like me on the tail end. Now, I I started off all in and I'm slowly kind of taking people along with me on the journey. But my, what I think is going on in, in your situation, or at least what the brethren would be thinking is the idea that, um, that you're offering people like, Hey, I, I believe in the book of Mormon. Hey, I, I think the church was true early on. And whereas folks like me on this side, we're saying like, Hey, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater, let's walk away. You're proposing to folks 
that, hey, like there, some of this is true and some of it isn't. And I think that uh, aura of ideas allows people to be more comfortable as they begin to kind of engage the concept like, oh, so Joseph Smith was a true prophet, but Brigham Young was, you know, kind of a, an a-hole, you know, and it gives people kind of that cafeteria Mormonism feel where they can kind of pick and choose which pieces they hang on to and which ones they let go. And so from the church's point of view, I can sense probably some fear at these ideas much more than maybe, you know, Radio Free Mormon, for instance. Right. And the other thing is that it can also appeal to people who have a testimony of the truth of the Book of Mormon, but feel queasy about the practice of polygamy. Right. Exactly. You know, and I, I think there are a lot of people out there who who there are parts of Mormonism that feel really good to them. I mean, and if you look at what the Lord uh, was trying to institute, I believe, with the biblical Christianity through Joseph in the time of the fullness, 1831, 32, was you know love equality monogamy work seek the interests of others uh you know all these things that that we all kind of really want and it's only men who have who have changed this over time and added all these accoutrements around the gospel that make it almost impossible to to not question or doubt you know it, the and, and you know if you look and we don't have time to go in depth, but I talk about it in my book. Um, you know, some of the some of the things that that Isaiah says about the the Lord's people who are in a state of apostasy and the leaders of the Lord's people, and he doesn't have nice things to say. And you know, not my words, but but the Lord's via Isaiah. You know, they are greedy dogs that can never have enough. And you know, in light of the 150 billion at least that we have in investment portfolios that that are never used for the poor, um, for the fact that we preach that uh, you got to pay 10% of your income, even if you can't pay your rent or buy your groceries, right? Whereas the original teaching was 10% of your interest, which, which meant of your surplus, not 10% of your income, 10% of your surplus. And, you know, when I started getting on this shtick, for lack of a better term, I went to my bishop and I had a really open-minded bishop at that point. And I said, look, Bishop, and he called me in for a temple recommend interview because I had let it lapse. And I said, look, Bishop, I'm not interested in going to the temple. I'm repenting of those covenants. Um, I, I don't believe they're true. And by the way, I'm not going to pay tithing anymore to an organization that is unaccountable to its members and won't let us know how much money they they rake in how much they spend on the bureaucracy uh, an educational institution um, it's very clear to me that tithing is supposed to be for the poor um, and then you know we constantly hear read the book of mormon right but we don't really believe it because the book of mormon slams us it body slams us the book of mormon says we rob the poor because of our fine sanctuaries we do. Can, can I ask you something? Yeah. So, and again, I don't want to. I don't want to get off into the weeds. I, I'm kind of looking for a really short, like, hey, it, it bothers me a lot, or hey, it doesn't bother me much. But for instance, if we dive into the early history with like Joseph Smith's treasure digging, does that kind of stuff bother you at all, or are you kind of like, nah, that kind of rolls off your back? Doesn't bother me. Yeah. 
Um, and, I, and the other question I've got too is, are you drawn at all to folks like Rock Waterman or Denver Snuffer, for instance? Uh, no. Uh, Rock, I, I know Rock has affiliated himself with Denver. Uh, I haven't followed him that closely. Um, you know, people have asked me, well, what are you doing? Are you starting your own church? Are you starting something? And, and the answer is an emphatic no. I mean, I am, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a searcher who has dug and found things. And, and frankly, the Doctrine and Covenants says that one of the reasons for the revelations is that man should not counsel his fellow man. So, you know, doing a podcast, Chris and I get questions all the time. Like, well, what should we do about this? What do you think about that? And, um, you know, we'll answer some of the questions, but when people ask, what should we be doing? Um, it's like, that's on you. You got to go to the Lord and you've got to figure out what he wants you to do. That's not on me to tell you to do anything. So I'm not starting a movement or anything. I'm just sharing the results of, you know, seven years of, of a deep dive. Yeah. I want to open this up to phone calls here in a second, Taylor, but I want to give you the chance to put the final flourish on this because the one thing that hasn't been answered yet, which I know you have an answer to. So let me ask the question is if Joseph Smith was a true prophet in the beginning, if he became a fallen prophet, and if the church now is sort of like the Israelites with a lesser law, what has to happen for that to change and for the fullness to be restored once again? So we've been indoctrinated to believe that the restoration has already happened, or Nelson talks about it continuing to unfold. But the restoration is a future event. Joseph always talked about Elijah coming to restore as a future event, even after Elijah visited the Kirtland Temple uh, in 1836. And even section 77 puts the restoration in the future. It says that the restoration is around the time that the two prophets are killed in Jerusalem, which is a, an end days prophecy, right? And so there are a lot of uh, milestones along the way that point to the restoration. And I, and I address this in my book. Okay. And, you know, we talked about Joseph as a fallen prophet, but the Lord says that Joseph still holds the keys, whether in life or in death. And, and he's still going to be a player on the stage at some point. And, and that's part I'm of sorry, the wait. Joseph Smith is. Yeah. But okay. I hate to break this to you, but he died a while back. I know, I know, I know. But if you believe the doctrine and covenants, he he's gonna. And in fact, Brigham Young taught and believed that Joseph was was gonna come back at some point. Um, you know, just like Moses visited the Kirtland Temple, uh, Joseph and some of those first labors in the Last Kingdom that is are referenced in the doctrine and covenants have a role to play in the future. So, um, any, anyway, that's. You know, I'm not throwing Joseph under the bus and just saying, okay, he's fallen, end of story. I mean, here's here's the one thing we haven't talked about that I think is important, and I'll just spend a few moments on it here. So we haven't talked about the fact that the Lord actually uses prophets to test his people. And there are multiple references in the scriptures to back that up. Uh, and so I believe Joseph acted in that role. And, and one of the clearest... Uh, scriptures along that line is Malachi 2. It talks about a servant who brings forth the truth and then causes the people to stumble. And what was his crime? Leaving the wife of his youth. If that's not Joseph, I don't know who it is. Um, but 
that it tells you, you know, the Lord God will prove you. This is in, from Deuteronomy 13. Don't follow after a, um, actually, let me, uh, we don't have time to get into it. Actually, here it is. I'll read it quickly. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth you a sign or a wonder, and the sign of the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods or other doctrines, which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or a dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart. So there is scriptural precedent for that to happen. And I believe Joseph was, was used to turn the saints over to false doctrines for a period of time, for a period of cursing. Now, there's great hope. Um, scriptures talk about us being in hidden darkness. And just think about that metaphor. Darkness that we don't even recognize. And um, so, you know, at some point, the Lord still loves his people. He loves all people. And he's working with us. But he's not talking to us directly because we're in the wilderness. And that's where we find, and, and we have prophets that don't prophesy. They never bring forth the words of the Lord. Uh, you know, COVID, I think, has, pro has proven, you know, that even though the Lord gave his ancient apostles power over all manner of disease, he doesn't seem to have given these guys power over all manner of disease. Or any disease at all, for that matter. Right. Not even the common cold. So, are we ready to open this up? Are you are you willing to, to do that, Taylor? To take phone calls? Fire, fire away. We have a wonderful audience. They're uh, on the whole very respectful. I can't remember any kind of a uh, pejorative kind of phone call. There's always a first time, I suppose. But we have no call screener on the show. Bill Real is the one man who takes these calls, and I think he's doing it right now. Um, either that or he's having another episode where he's talking to himself. That happens from time to time. So uh, this is part of the show where I just sort of tap dance a little bit and fill in the space while Bill is getting ready. Are you ready, Bill? I've got a Let's caller. We've got uh, we've got Lance on the phone. Lance, uh, what do you got for us tonight, my friend? So this is for Searcher. I'm curious if he could answer in a relatively concise way. What would the Salt Lake City-based church look like for him to be back on track gotcha what would, what would it take for for him to come back to the church uh in terms of his belief that that an apostasy hasn't happened yeah in other words what would the church have to look like and act like in order for him to feel like it was a legitimate church to belong to perfect i'll hang up with you and he'll answer all right thanks yep so Lance, great question. Um, I think it gets to the fact that that we don't follow the scriptures right now. So so we would have to um, follow what the Lord has told us uh, from the apostles on down. The Lord taught that his apostles were to go without purse or script. His apostles were to be outside of the stakes and preaching the gospel. We would have to be, they would have to be teaching us about Zion and what we have to do to establish Zion, not this false notion that uh, you just stay in your stake and this is a mini Zion and you're going to be safe. Um, scripture always talk about Zion as a gathering place. And 
um, you know, the Lord said prior to establishing the fullness that there is none that doeth good except those who are ready to receive the fullness. And so for that to happen, there needs to be some demonstrated Melchizedek priesthood power. And, uh, you know, my belief is that we do not have the gift of the Holy Ghost right now. Uh, we have a preparatory gospel that is faith and baptism, but no gift of the Holy Ghost. And we're not cleansed unless we have that gift of the Holy Ghost, and that takes the Melchizedek priesthood. So we would have to see a restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood, um, which would uh, give us the gift of the Holy Ghost. We would have to be seeking for Zion uh, and looking to establish that. So uh, and following the scriptures up and down uh, in, in our practice. I mean, let me give you an example. Uh, Moroni teaches that uh, meetings of the ancient church were conducted according to the spirit. Uh, there were no topics assigned. There was not six months to prepare a speech and deliver it in general conference. It was supposed to be spontaneous according to the spirit. And I would love to see that happen in the church. And it very rarely does. Great answer there. By the way, I think we skipped over one of my favorite parts of the show where we get to talk about the phone number people should call. Yeah, it should be 435-200-3478 or 435-200-FIST. Taylor? Taylor? Yeah, you gotta do it with there, fist. there we go. All right. Fist. Yes. All right. We don't have another call yet, but I know that I know that 21st century saints asked a question, which was if if these guys are just willing to leave you alone, they just called off the disciplinary court. Are you content staying in the church? Do you feel that way about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I tried to stay in, and I I haven't, like I said, I haven't been, I haven't gone in in a year, year and a half. Um, and every chance I got, I I would preach Jesus. I was not calling out the problems because people who are blinded to that just need Jesus. And I've had uh, high officers in my stake consult me and say, well, what do you think I should talk about? Um, and I say, look, we got to elevate Jesus. He's not our elder brother. He is our God. The Book of Mormon teaches that Jesus is God. And, and one of the great false doctrines that, that has permeated the church is this idea that God was once a man. And um, this is a longer discussion, but in the Kirtland era, the belief in God was very different than in Nauvoo. And uh, the belief in God was in the lectures on faith, which was the doctrine of the Doctrine and Covenants when it was first published. And then it was taken out in the 1920s by a bunch of intellectuals in the church. So, and there you go. You got it. So, um, you know, for me personally, believing in the God, finally, instead of the celestial polygamous God, but actually believing in the God of the Book of Mormon, that is also the God of the lectures on faith for me was very enlightening um, to elevate Jesus to his, to his stature as God, as the physical manifestation of God here on the earth. Perfect. Thank you. So the next caller is Travis. Travis, you are on the air Mormonism live with Bill real radio free Mormon and uh, searcher. Hey, thank you. Um, I just, I appreciate uh, this, concept that Taylor's presenting. I kind of want to make a little bit of a plug. I've been watching and, you know, reading the comments that have been coming up. And I, and I know where your audience 
stands a lot, um, you know, where most post-Mormons and ex-Mormons typically go is to an atheist or agnostic view, and they kind of, you know, we throw the baby out with the bathwater like it's been presented here. And, and I, just, I just want to point out here that what Taylor's trying to present is a, a thousand-piece puzzle. And, and he's only presenting, you know, a few pieces of this puzzle. And, and I, I just encourage your, your listeners to actually get the book. Don't, don't judge it just simply by the few pieces of the puzzle that you've gotten so far and, and put in some time and work into this because as you get all of those pieces, this puzzle starts to come together and become more clear and more clear and more clear. Can, can I ask, have you read the book? It's disheartening for me to, you know, to see. I'm, I'm post-Mormon myself. I've, I've taken a similar road as, as Taylor has. And, and I, you know, it, it breaks my heart that people have thrown the baby out with the bathwater and taken a stance and now just look for anything that reinforces where they're at now instead of being open to a new concept or a new idea. So I, I, I just hope people... Uh, you know, take the time to dig deeper into this and not just... Can you keep this caller on the line, Bill? Because he may not be able to occur what Taylor asked. But, but actually take some time to understand it. Yeah. It's and, just, and, and, and that's, that's all i got to say. No, no, no. Good, good. Hey, so Travis. Taking up too much time. No, no, no. You're good, Travis. Okay. Um, Taylor's asking if you read the book. You won't be able to hear either of them asking you questions, but the, Taylor's asking if you read the book. And by the way... I, I would also agree with you for folks to understand the full concept of Taylor sharing, they should read the book, which is a hell of a lot more than it sounds like anybody in his stakes doing. Right. Yeah. To answer Taylor's question, I have not finished reading the book, <laughs> but that's because I'm already aware of all of that that's in it because I've listened to his podcast since the beginning and I've taken this similar road that he's taken like several years before that and gathered all, you know, pretty much all the same information that he's been putting together yeah, through my own work and my own time and my own efforts. And, you know, that's, that's yeah. kind of how it's gone. Perfect. And, my and Taylor, I look forward to uh, shaking your hand on July 31st. I'll be there. Awesome. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's an allusion Thank to, uh, thanks for the segue. <laughs> so it's July 31st, uh, how come I'm not invited? Uh, on July 31st, uh, Chris, the guy podcast with Chris and I are, are presenting at Sunstone, uh, on Saturday at 2 PM and, uh, we've got 90 minutes. So we'll have a lot more time to go through these various data points and it's entitled, um, the hidden history that will change your Mormon paradigm. So we're going to be going over this in great detail on the 31st of July. And let me just have to, too, okay. let me just say I am I'm thrilled when people come in. Uh, give me just one one second if you guys want to. Yeah, he has to go out for a second and put himself on mute because as soon as right. that call comes in, he has to pick it up before it uh, you know yeah. hangs up or rings off. Right. So um, I'm grateful for anyone and everyone who creates what I would call way stations along the way. And whether somebody stays there forever or whether they move on to something else, what I think you're offering folks is an opportunity to hang on to pieces and parts of Mormonism and to hang on to Jesus and to discard the unhealthiness 
of this particular religious system as it traumatizes and harms people. And I'm grateful for that. I People would think that I would want to come down hard on that. I don't buy into it. And and so if you and I were having this like long conversation, I would want to push back, but it doesn't mean I'm right either. But I do appreciate that you're creating a space where people can slow down, think about these things, begin to do research, dive into these ideas. And whether they agree with you or they agree with me, I don't really care. I, I'm just grateful that people are out there giving folks a nudge to consider that maybe Mormonism as it is today in the LDS church isn't as healthy as they they may have, may have thought. Yeah, and, and one of my purposes in writing the book is, you know, we're, we're so steeped in these traditions that we've heard since we're in primary, right? And so when you run across some of this information that causes you cognitive dissonance, you don't have a framework to understand where we are and why we've gotten to this place of, of institutional uh, downgrade, institutional apostasy. And so the book is meant to be a, a big picture roadmap with enough data points and enough evidence so that people can say, yeah, I can see how based on this, 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 and this, and this, you can now draw these conclusions all based in both history and scripture. And there was no book like that when I started running across these concepts. And I, I'm not here to tell you that that I was that this is all original to me. It's not. In fact, very little of it is. Some of it is. Um, but I have been privileged to be able to synthesize it and and bring it into a book format that I think is digestible and understandable for the lay Mormon. And it's written to that Mormon audience. Perfect. So I just want to say before we go to the next caller, uh, Jared, who's been following us for quite a while, he is definitely a, a believer in the church and, and, you know, again, good for him. Um, Jared, you constantly throw up things like this and we've invited you, RFM and I have invited you to reach out to us. We'd love to have you on the podcast and give you a chance to defend some of your positions of faith. Um, I, I'd love to have you do that. You can find me on Facebook pretty super easy. You can find Radio Free Mormon on Facebook pretty super easy. And let me just, can I just push yeah. back on Jared? Cause he's yeah, somebody that I've lost my testimony. And well, can we read the comment? Can we read the yes, comment? Yeah, for just me? real quick. So Jared says, I can understand why Bill RFM and Taylor Drake have lost their testimonies. I'm puzzled why they choose to fight against it with such commitment. And, and I read that and I'm like, look, I've found my faith. I have a, you know, my testimony of, of Joseph, of the book of Mormon, uh, of, of the gospel in its in its form in its pure form that I believe was taught in Kirtland is stronger than it's ever been. It's just that I have to discard all of these unscriptural doctrines that we have adopted, and I've given people an under, a framework to understand why we're in the quandary that we are. And so I, I reject that assertion that I've lost my testimony. I have the stronger testimony than than I've ever had. Perfect. Charlie, you are on the line here with Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon, Bill Real, and Taylor Drake. What do you have for us tonight, my friend? Um, I appreciate everything you guys do. But first, uh, I'd like to say uh, I empathize kind of with what Taylor's going through and what he's presented. But the reason I think most of us in post-Mormon world throw the baby out with the bathwater is 
I don't really like that term necessarily because I think we do take a lot of what Jesus represented, you know, to love one another, be kind to people, Amen. do unto others, yeah. that type of thing. But we want to reject the God of the Old Testament who was vengeful and killed everybody and was petty and dismissive and all those things. Who was Jesus, um, by the way, right, in Mormonism? Right, in Mormonism, <laughs> that was Jesus. And it's, it's hard to reconcile those two things, yeah. so we want to throw that baby out because there's been right. so much harm done. But we try to keep what, you know, the good things that Jesus taught. We just decide, hey, that can be us. We don't have to worship a God to do that. Yeah, I love it. Appreciate the comment, my friend. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I will add that uh, one of the aspects of Jesus that goes largely unremarked upon, at least in Mormonism, uh, but is a significant uh, part of the New Testament, is that he continuously and stridently stood up and criticized the leaders of his church the leaders of his religious institution and so i would think uh you know to answer jared's question you might ask that same question about why it was that jesus felt that it was so necessary uh to be committed to criticize his religious leaders in his day if you think that that's a problem and i'll just comment that i think it's easy for us to look and read the bible and say oh those pharisees were so off track but like you pointed out, RFM, they, they were the religious leaders of the day, and they believed that they were right. And uh, there are, as you guys have done podcasts on Phariseeism in the Mormon church, I think, I think you're spot on there. There's so much of that uh, that permeates the organization. It's sad to see. And, and I think just this this whole, you know, spiritual execution via excommunication, oh, I'm sorry, membership withdrawal, because we have a kinder, gentler hand now. Um, I'm sorry, sometimes my sarcasm just has to come out. Um, and you're still going to hell is the bottom line. <laughs> um, you know, it just it just smacks of, of Phariseeism in so many ways. Um, so... So yeah, I think I think we do ourselves no favors when we when we pull punches sometimes, and and if if our if our leadership can't take the heat um, or can't defend their faith, then you know it, it leaves a lot of us either to leave, uh, become a cafeteria Mormon, or or do something. And I think more and more people are waking up to the to the problems in the church. You know, you guys have documented that we're not growing, and despite what we hear out of salt lake perfect this will this is it okay if this is the last caller for the night absolutely do you already have somebody on there yeah we've got uh, we've got steven on the air you're on mormonism live with bill real radio free mormon and taylor drake uh close us out my friend what are you thinking well uh thanks for having me on my, <clears throat> my name's steven and um i'm actually an evangelical and i've been engaging um uh, the restoration uh, through uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, but basically, I talked with uh, Patrick McKay of the Independent Restoration Branches, who is a very good friend of mine. And I've also attended a Church of Jesus Christ service, uh, the Bickertonites, uh, your Pentecostal cousins. And so much of what you're saying um, is what they're saying. And I'm just wondering if perhaps uh, there might be a home for you within those movements. Um, as an evangelical, I felt very much at home attending that Church of Jesus Christ service. I felt the spirit. I feel that it does operate there. And they are pretty much believe in 
that they love Jesus, they love the Bible, and they love the Book of Mormon. And uh, I enjoyed fellowshipping with them. And um, I'll hang up and listen for your answer. Thank Thanks you, Stephen. Thank you. Stephen, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I, I'm just in the process of, of exploring you know, where I, where I feel really comfortable. I've, I've been to a few evangelical churches and, and I'll tell you what I love about them is the focus on Jesus and worshiping him as God. And I, I find that lacking in, uh, in the Brighamite faction of the Mormon church. And there may be somewhere else that, that I feel more at home as I, as I explore that, um, you know, the drums get a little bit old for me, but, but, um, other than that, I, I've loved the times that I've, you know, I love to hear a sermon from the New Testament. You know, there, there's, I think there's just power in Jesus's words to make us better people. And I just long, I mean, one of the, one of the problems I have in going to a sacrament meeting is I'm going to get some droll rehash of, of a conference talk or a pay your tithing or do your home teaching, um, talk. And I just, it's just give me Jesus, man. That's what I want. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, just closing out our I'll, I'll turn it over to you to, to give us any final thoughts, but just a reminder to listeners, uh, give us a five-star review on Apple podcast or wherever you're listening. Uh, there, I, while you guys were talking earlier in the interview, I was creating a fundraiser for our channel that is now, um, posted on every one of our videos where YouTube recognizes us as a charity and you can donate there. And I think more of your money does go to us rather than YouTube keeping a cut of it. So that's now completed. Uh, and folks, if you could just uh, join Mormonism live, our group on Facebook and uh, obviously uh, check us out there and uh, like this video as well. RFM, any final thoughts from you? I want to thank Taylor Drake for coming on the show. We wish you the best of luck in your 30 minutes of glory one week from tonight. And hopefully, uh, maybe you can come back and share with us what happened. If you're willing to talk about it, we'd be willing to listen. The book is Joseph in the Gap by Taylor Drake. And thanks for coming on once again. This has been Mormonism Live with Bill Real, Radio Free Mormon, and tonight, our new hero, Taylor Drake. And I think these two quotes will close us out because I think they're deeply applicable. Give Brother Joseph a break. It's wrong to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true.